Welcome everyone to today's class. Anyone have a question before we begin? Relating to any of the classes we've covered so far? Okay. So on chapter two, we're going to try and cover verse 62 to 64 today. This is topic six, description of an enlightened soul. Who is a person that's enlightened, self-realized? As Arjun asked Krishna, what does he talk like? How does he walk? How does he control his desires? Who is this person? How would I recognize him? And Krishna's been answering Arjuna's question. So for us to develop on the spiritual path, to reach the state of self-realization, moksha, we need to control our senses. Any idea why we need to control the senses? Why do we need to, yeah, Benita? Because our senses uh, lead to desires and attachment, which then is not the correct path. Okay, but what if you have a desire for self-realization? If the desire is higher than an object or attachment to a material thing, then it replaces the material desire, which is a, a, a better desire. Yeah, yeah, good, very good. Anybody else? Why should you control your senses? Where does your senses take you? Where do your senses take you? It's important that you understand this. Where does the senses, where does your sight take you? Where does it want to go? Where did you go last weekend? Easter weekend. Where does your taste want to take you? The touch. Dipabin. Takes you into the world away from yourself. Exactly. The senses take you to the world. Your senses took you to the self, not a problem. No need to control. Let it free. But it doesn't. It takes you to the world away from the self. And that's why we need to control it. Only if you have control of your senses can you direct it to the self. You can focus on the self. The senses take you to the world of objects and beings. And it keeps you there. Hard to get out of it. I don't need to tell you, you know. It's hard to get out of it. And 
it's not easy. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to con um, get out of it because, as you said, the world is like a powerful magnet. Your five senses are like lumps of lead constantly drawn to the world. You have to put in so much effort. When you have a magnet and a piece of metal, how much force it takes to separate it. That's the effort you have to put in. So spiritual disciplines, gurus, books, they teach you how to practice self-control, how to control your senses. And only through self-control can you withdraw the mind from the world and concentrate on the self. Does that make sense? Only, that's the only way you can meditate on the self, Brahman. And to control the senses, you need a strong intellect. It's the mind that's drawn to the world. The intellect has to say, hang on. Let's have some self-control. The reason I'm covering this is because verse 62 and 63, which we're going to cover in a minute, explains that if you don't control your senses, then the consequences of that is called a ladder of fall. What happens to your personality if you don't control your senses? That's verse 62, 63. Then in verse 64, it explains how to control the senses. The beauty of the Gita is that it tells you where you go, fall down and it tells you how to get back up again. It's such a scientific manual. Okay, you don't do this, this will happen to you. But if you don't want that to happen, do this. So today we're gonna to cover those three things. What happens if you don't control your senses? Forget about self-realization, yeah? We're not even talking about moksha, self Just in the world, forget you have no spiritual knowledge. Yeah? Your goal isn't to reach that state of development. But just if you don't control your senses, what can happen to you? Forget about spiritual development. We don't even go there yet. So what happens? So, and before we cover that, just because we weren't, didn't have a class last week, we just covered what 60 and 61 covered, yeah? Verse 60, it says, Arjuna, the senses are so powerful that even a person who's wholeheartedly determined to reach the ultimate goal of self-realization, if he's not careful, he can take his mind away. Verse 60 highlighted the power of the senses, if uncontrolled, it can destroy a person. And we gave the example of that sage who had full control, he thought, living in the cave. And then the gods tested him by sending her this lovely lady to dance for him. And he was taken away. And we mentioned that in the animal kingdom, an animal has a weakness for one sense organ and it destroys them. Remember we said the elephant for touch, the deer for hearing, and it destroys them, the fish for taste. One sense organ and it destroys them. We as a human have five sense organs. 
how much control we have to have. So hence, it's important to self-control your senses. Verse 61, it said, you have to get the senses under the control of the intellect. Only then you can concentrate on a single thought. The verse mentioned, concentrate on me. I think this verse is very, very important. Concentrate on me. And we said me means the Atman within us. Supreme Self, Brahman, God. That's what me represents. Krishna used the term me. Krishna, the person, he's, he's not saying think of me. He's saying think of the self, Brahman. And we discussed how this has been the message of most spiritual prophets. Jesus Christ, Muhammad, Buddha, Mahavir, they've all said the same thing. Focus on me. But people misinterpret this as believing in the person, the prophets themselves. And because of this one misunderstanding, all the religious wars, killings, separation, segregation, hatred in this world, one misunderstanding. If you understand this verse, focus on me, you don't need any religions. I'm not a Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist. Just trying to reach my goal in life. That's it. Takes away everything. All those attachments to all the gods and prophets and everything just... You shed everything. I'm the self. I'm trying to find out and become my true personality. I'm trying to find out what the self is and become one with it. That's my true personality. That's it. A whole, so much clarity then. As I said, all human beings made of the same stuff, regardless of color, regardless of where we come from, what language we speak, what food we eat. Therefore, we're all the same, with the same spiritual goal in life. That's it. Any questions? That was the last class we covered, verse 60 and 61. Good. So, verse 62 and 63. Now, we chant this as one. Dhyayato visayan pumsaha sangaste supajayate sangat sanjayate kamaha kamat Krodo bijayate, krodat bhavati samohaha, samohat smriti vi brahmaha, smriti brahmsat buddhi naso, buddhi nasat pranasyati. 
ಸಂಗಸ್ತೆಸುಪಚಾಯತೆ ಸಂಗತ್ಸಂಜಯತೆ ಕಾಮ ಕಾಮತ್ಕ್ರೋಧೋಪಿ ಜಾಯತೆ ಕ್ರೋಧತ್ಭವತಿ ಸಂಮೋಹ ಸಂಮೋಹತ್ಸ್ಮೃತಿಬ್ರಹ್ಮ ಸ್ಮೃತಿ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಸದ್ಬುದ್ಧಿನಾಸೋ A man musing on objects develops attachment for them. From attachment arises desire. From desire arises anger. From anger arises delusion. From delusion arises desire. confusion of memory from confusion of memory loss of intellect from loss of intellect he perishes so this is the ladder of fall if we don't control our senses this is what happens to you and if you think about it deeply it's exactly how it's said in here what happens to us So think about it. So this verse is saying, if you don't follow the advice given in the previous verses and control your senses, then this is what's going to happen. Ladder of fall, the destruction and loss of your personality. You have to understand it's talking about the extreme. And we, will, we can identify with people around, in around us in the news in made newspapers people who have reached that fallen to that level it may not we may not feel that it's going to happen to us but it is around us it can happen so first of all as we said many times we are the self divinity brahman but because we don't realize this we don't know this we don't understand this we don't have the spiritual knowledge there's a void within us there's an emptiness within us a sense of unfulfillment in life you analyze your personality you'll you'll discover this there's a sense of unfulfillment and if you don't think there is it's only because you've got used to it who can put the hand up and said i'm 100% content with my life so because of this emptiness this feeling of void this feeling of uncontentment our thoughts go out to the world of objects and beings our thoughts go out to the world to try and fill this emptiness to get some sort of contentment in life if i'm happy i ask you all are you happy how many people can say yes i'm 100% happy you may say i'm happy but 
I'm reasonably happy. Not really enjoying it. I had a better job promotion. I'm happy, but my son, he still hasn't found a partner. Once he gets married, I'll be happy. My daughter. Or once my daughter has a child, I'm a grandmother, grandfather. If only I had a bigger house. There'll be something. I won the lottery, more money. I'd be more happier. All of us feel this because of the emptiness, that void. There's always something that we want, something that we're chasing for in life. We feel something is missing in our life. And we believe that by achieving that, our life would be complete. Will it be complete? If you won the lottery, your dream is to win the lottery, would your life be complete? You got a bigger house, would your life be complete? We have a bigger house than we had. Amount of maintenance, cost, sales constant in the garden. Gardener costs, all these sort of things. We have to deal with. Not saying when it's not it's not good, but you haven't taken all that into consideration. We think we by achieving that, our dreams, we, our life would be complete. It will never happen. Mark my words, it will never happen. No matter what you get, what your dream is, you won't, you won't feel complete. Why is that, anyone? Who can tell me why? I are, you feel, I'm a genie and I fulfill all your dreams. Yes, every little one. Worldly dreams. Would that make you feel complete? And if not, why not? Who can answer why not? Trishnabin. I was going to say because it's only at the moment you feel happy and then after it's finished. So it's not complete contentment. Yeah. Inner peace, as it were. Yeah, you're there. You're halfway there. <laughs> Who else can explain it? couldn't quite hear what Jushnabed said, but my thoughts are is because you've been detached from Brahman, so when you get back to Brahman, only then you will feel complete. You're feeling, trying to fill that hole with something that won't fit. You're trying to fill that void with something that doesn't fit. No material object or being is going to fill that void. It's all in the world. Everything you're chasing is in the world. Except the knowledge of the self. The void you have is ignorance of Brahman, ignorance of self, 
Yes, that's the void. Ignorance of Brahman. So what's going to fill that void? Knowledge of Brahman. Knowledge of self, which will guide you to that ultimate state. Nothing in the world will take you there except for the knowledge. That's why you come to this class. Because you're getting the knowledge that fills that void. Something inside you, you may wake up in the morning thinking, oh, I don't want to do class today. Lovely day, I think I'll go. Something inside you says, no, you know, I have to take, I have to go to the class. Some of you said, after I come to the class, it makes me feel good. For a few days, someone said to me, for a few days, I feel really good once I come to a class on Sunday. That, that's because you've got some sort of contentment. You feel the small percentage of that hole, that void. That is why you feel that happiness. Any questions? Arunabhin, make sense? So, nothing in the world will fulfill that void. Still has a question. So, the world is a superimposition upon Brahman. Yeah. And If that, so therefore the world is Brahman. Mm. So why is it that if we feel, is it because we forget Brahman and only see the world, but we're always feeling, I suppose, not we're not feeling content because we forget? Do you understand Sil's question, everyone? We said the world is Brahman, and it's true. The world is Brahman. So why doesn't it fill that void? If the world is Brahman, it's superimposition on Brahman. Because when you see the world, you don't think of Brahman. Wordsworth, the daffodils, he saw the daffodils, thousands of daffodils that I, I can see, and it made him think of God, made him think of Brahman. Now, if all your experiences, every experience you have makes you think of Brahman, by all means, indulge in the senses. But it doesn't. And that's the reason. When you're in the world, you're not thinking of Brahman. You're thinking of your senses. How can I fulfill? Where do I want to go today? I want to go to that restaurant. Why? Not because it makes you think of Brahman. <laughs> Is that okay? So, so therefore, the more you identify with Brahman, the more knowledge you get of the self, and you understand that this world is all Brahman, then you start identifying with Brahman when you're in the world. Things start reminding you of Brahman. 
but you need that knowledge once again. Any questions on what Siddhal said? Does that make sense? Is that clear? Hema, clear? You see your partner, your husband, does it remind you of Brahman? That day, yes, you're getting there. That's the marker. She's like raising her eyebrows at me. <laughs> then you know, this world is a supreme precision on Brahman. Everything is Brahman. The first line, it says, a man musing on objects develops attachment for them. From attachment arises desire. From desire arises anger. So what does that mean? It starts with one thought. One thought towards an object or being. I want that. When that first thought comes up, you have a choice. You can either say, no, I don't need that, and dismiss that thought, or you can dwell on that thought. The choice is yours. And the whole idea is to run it through your intellect. Let the, inner, let the intellect analyze that thought. Any thought that comes up, run it through your intellect. If the intellect is not strong enough and the thought is not checked, then that thought becomes a thin thought flow towards the object or being. This is called attachment. One thought comes up. You have a slim thought flow going toward that object. I could do with that. I need one of those. Attachment. This is called attachment. I could do with that. If still you don't stop that thought, then those thoughts become thicker. The thought flow becomes thicker, stronger, stronger towards that object of being. Attachment then becomes a desire. I want that. I need that. I'm going to get that. Now that attachment has become a desire. Any questions on that? Does that make sense, first of all? We're gonna go more deeper into it. You pass your favorite ice cream shop. New flavor only for this week. You fill in the gap, yeah. Pistachio, mango, whatever it is. When we go to Mumbai, Sitafa, and was it, uh, what's the other one, Silla? Uh, tender coconuts, that's it was Only while the season is there, tender coconut ice cream. New flavor. You ever thought, I never tried that flavor before. It'd be nice to try it. But you're controlling your weight. You've set your heart on losing a few kilos. This point, the intellect should step in and say, no, you're on a diet, walk on. It's just a slight single thought flow. I've not tried that flavor before. If you don't have a strong intellect, 
you will linger with that thought. Start looking inside the shop, all the different flavors laid out there. You might even enter the shop. Your thoughts now turn into an attachment. Maybe I'll try one spoon. You know, they give you a taste. You try one spoon. Oh, I'll just try one spoon. I say, I don't like it and walk out. At least I've tried it. You try it. Tastes amazing. You love it. Your thoughts get stronger. It now becomes a desire. Now you're in trouble. You've lost control now. You end up buying a scoop and you fulfill that desire. This is how it works. So when you were outside the shop and you saw the sign, new flavor, intellect just kicking and say, keep walking. You love ice cream, you're not gonna be able to control it, keep walking. But if you can't do that, your intellect's not available to you. It's not strong enough, it's not powerful then you're in trouble. Now, let's say you're not on your own, you're with your partner. And your partner is with you and they say, darling, you can't have that, you're on a diet. You said you're on a diet this week. You know how much fat that ice scoop of ice cream has? Reminds you. What happens, anyone? What happens? Just normally, normally, you get angry because you can't have it and someone's telling you. Perfect, perfect. You become angry against your partner. Why? Your desire has been interrupted. Someone is saying you can't fulfill that desire. How dare he? Now you definitely go in. In fact, you buy a double scoop because you're so angry. Loss of, complete loss of intellect. You just go in there, mind led, you buy two scoops. This is how it works for all of us. We're going into real detail here, how to control, self-control. Now, scoop of ice cream is not gonna help you, harm you, yeah? I'm just giving you a simple example. It's not gonna harm you. But you can replace that ice cream with anything in your life. I don't like to scare all of you, hence I'll give you a nice example. <laughs> you replace the ice cream with anything. I'm not happy with my partner. I think I'll reunite Ukraine with Russia. These Jews are taking over Germany. We can't let that happen. We want our own country. Let's divide India, Pakistan. One thought, one person can do so much damage if uncontrolled. That's the power of the thought. So much damage. Marita, could you read paragraph one, please? Sorry, is there any questions before we do that? Any questions? So that's a question. Just come and go. Close to the mic, yeah. So are we saying then that throughout our life we need to 
constantly look at our desire and try to uh, not go with it in everything. Hold that thought for the next verse. Okay. Yeah. So if we're thinking about um, being on the spiritual path as such, I have a thought flow because the way you described it is, is that you have a thought flow mm. that um, you either break and it, and it stops or you keep thinking about that and it gets a stronger thought flow and it becomes a desire. That's how you explained it. So if we're on this spiritual path and I have a thought flow every morning thinking, right, I need to be up at a certain time because I need to study. I understand the importance and that thought flow is has has a strong current because the desire is there to get up early enough to do it. So if if I have a thought flow that is going towards the spiritual path or a desire that's going towards the spiritual path, but then also I live in the world and I have thoughts and desires in the world as well. There's a con constant conflict, isn't there? Absolutely. So what, what would overpower that conflict? More knowledge, is it? Or what? Whichever is a stronger desire, that will take precedence. If your desire is to... Anything in your life. If, if your desire is to reach self-realization, that is your strongest desire. Sorry, my mic slipped then that will be your main focus in life. That's why people go to the Himalayas, stay in a cave, don't go into the world, because they only have that one desire, and that's the strongest desire. The issue is that because we're in the world, we have certain obligations, we have certain desires, and that desire for spiritual development is not as strong as other desires your desire to go get up in the morning and you got to get to work. Yeah, everyone has to go to work. So we have to fit everything around that. Yeah. So which one is the strongest desire? And that'll take president. Does that, is that clear to everyone? Does that make sense? See, we're all on the spiritual path. That's why you come to this class. Otherwise, why would you bother? But how strong is that desire? How many are waking up in the morning studying? That will show how strong that desire is. You don't wake up in the morning, but you've got a flight to go on holiday. You wake up in the morning. That desire is stronger to catch that flight. So what takes precedence? I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you're wrong, yes? But the point is, what's the stronger desire propelling you to act? And that's how it's based. Is that okay? So. Benita, could you read paragraph one, please? Verse 62 and 63 together explain the fall of man. The universal lack of spiritual fulfillment causes this fall. Due to this lack of spiritual fulfillment, 
you feel a sense of void all your life. However, however much life brings your way, you still feel something is missing. To fulfill that void, you start thinking of worldly objects and beings as a means to do so. This thinking causes the fall. To avoid falling, your intellect must scrutinize, judge, accept, or reject every thought of every object or being. If your intellect fails to do so, if you indiscriminately retain and entertain the thought of an object or being, a thin stream of thoughts will grow out of that initial thought and flow towards the object. This initial thought flow connecting you to the object is called attachment. Continuing to nurture them and nourish the thought of the object further strengthens that thought flow. The thoughts developed, develop into a more sustainable, substantial, substantial. substantial sorry, and forceful stream. At this stage, attachment develops into a desire. Desire, therefore, is a thicker stream of thought flowing from you towards an object. If another object or being interrupts this thought, this flow, your thoughts become deflected towards the interruption. These deflected thought currents are called anger. A simple example illustrates this truth. Consider Tom loves Elizabeth. A thick stream of, this, of his thought flows constantly towards Elizabeth. Then John comes into the picture and threatens Tom pre Tom's previously cleared field with Elizabeth. This consequently deflects Tom's thought flow towards John. Tom develops anger for John. Anger is thus a modification of desire or attachment. Anger cannot arise without a desire. To permanently eradicate your anger, you need to locate the underlying desire and eliminate it. Thank you. So it says, desire can change if the desire is interrupted. Deflected by another object or being, it turns into anger. Someone's coming in your way between you and fulfilling your desire. You become angry. And the level of anger depends on the size of the desire. How strong that desire is. As you become more and more angry, you become delusional. When you become delusional, leads to loss of memory. And I don't mean you forget everything in the past. You lose your memory at that point. You're unable to distinguish between right and wrong. You'll say things that you don't mean. You're not able to see the difference between good and bad. You forget your position, who you are. You say things which you later regret. And it doesn't stop there. Once you lose your memory, it leads to complete loss of intellect. Now you have totally lost control of your personality. This is what happens. Or what can happen. I'll give you an example. You, this may sound extreme, yes, to you. Angry leads to delusion. I've lost my memory. You might cannot be able to identify with that. 
But you know when you hear about someone who gets really angry and then they kill someone. Only after the act, they begin to, they realize what they've done. They begin to regret it. What have I done? I didn't mean to kill my partner. I just lost it. I didn't know what came over me, what I was doing. Anger leads to delusion. You don't have any control of your personality. Loss of memory. Total loss of your intellect. You don't know what's right and what's wrong. You don't know what you're doing. I didn't know what came up with me, what I was doing. What is the legal term they use in court? Diminished responsibility. Exactly what this is. If you're not in control, you lose your personality, you can do anything or end up doing anything, which you will later regret. The only way to eliminate the anger is to get rid of the original desire. How do you know that that desire will turn into anger, though? Like, I don't understand. Like, how do you know that that simple thought, like, say, you you like Elizabeth and then somebody else comes into the, the picture. How do you how can you physically, mentally think I can't do this? Like, how does that work? Powerful. You need a stronger intellect. I'll tell you in a second. You need a stronger intellect to control those thoughts. Where will this thought lead me? You have to think. The intellect has to kick in and say, where will this thought lead me? Analyze it. Otherwise, what's happening? The mind is saying, I want this. And you start running after it. Without any thought. That's not a way to behave. It's like a child. Mom, I want this. You don't buy everything a child wants. You think about it. Is it good for the child? Is it bad for the child? Then you decide and then you buy it. Same thing for you. I want this. The adult in you has to kick in and say, do I need it? That thought. Is that okay? Okay. We, as we cover the next verse, you'll, you'll understand, 64. But um, no, if you have any clarifications, please ask. I understand that, obviously, yeah. certain desires you can reduce, but I don't, like, if that desire is that strong mm-hmm. and you don't get that, it turns into anger, then you're saying that that you need to find where the underlining desire was in the first place to eliminate it but have you not taken it too far anyway to no, it's too late for you to do that you've killed someone yeah like you, <laughs> so you, you can't go back basically you can't so go you back yeah so it's that desire has taken its course already it's too late now so when you look back say you reflect back you're saying then you have that understanding i suppose later that this is my mindset and when this is how i am and i need to stop myself from I don't know, having those certain desires, I don't know. Let me finish this first. It might be clearer. So the only way to eliminate the anger was, I should have said, was to get rid of the original desire. Yeah? It's my, it's my mistake. But it's too late. Any other questions?
Deepa, you're asking a question. Yeah. Sorry, Deepa, you've disappeared. Okay, we'll continue. I'll ask, you can ask your question afterwards. So I'll give you a couple of examples how this works, yeah? When you roll, imagine you're top of a steps, yeah? Long steps. And you have a rubber ball and you throw it from there. You let it roll from the top step. What happens? A rubber ball, you roll down from the top step. You know those bouncy rubber balls, what happens? It catches momentum and it goes faster as it goes further down. It bounces to the next step. You can catch the ball if you're fast enough. But if you don't, then it bounces to the third step. Then sixth step. Then it takes momentum and it goes to the twelfth step. You can't catch the ball anymore. You don't know where it's going to go now. It's out of control. Same thing with your thought. When the initial thought comes, if the intellect is powerful enough, it can catch it. The more momentum it gains, the more tougher it becomes. Does everyone understand that example? Another example, River Ganges, where it begins, is it Gangotri? River Ganges begins, Gomuk, Gomuk. It begins in Gomuk in the Himalayas. And if you go up there and you go to the source, it's just a trickle of water. You can put your hand there and it stops the flow. The Ganges, you're stopping the Ganges from flowing. Can you believe that? Right at the top, where it trickles, you can put your hand there and you can stop the Ganges. But as you get further down, the trickle becomes greater. A river forms, a stream forms, then a river forms. And by the time you're down at Rishikesh, it's like 50 meters wide. The force of the water is so great. If you go into the river, you have to hold on to a rope at the edge. Or, some, or you have to hold on to something because the force will take you away. People are doing water rafting there. That's how powerful it is. Same thing happens with your mind and the thoughts you get. When the thought first appears, you have the ability to get rid of it, eliminate it spiritualize it, I don't need that, it's not gonna take me to the self. But once the thoughts get stronger, intellect loses control of it. It can go in any direction, that thought. That's Therefore, that's why you have to develop your intellect. That's why we say develop intellect. Keep check, scrutinize, judge every thought flow before it turns into a strong desire. Because if you don't, and that one thought can destroy your whole personality. Any questions? Can you read the rest, Benny? Yes. 
the greater the desire interrupted, the greater will be the anger arising out of it. When your anger mounts up more and more, you lose control of your mind. You lose, you lose yourself in delusion. The damage does not stop there. Delusion leads to loss of memory. You forget what is right and wrong, what is good and bad. You forget your position, your obligations, your relationship with the world. Loss of memory further leads you to loss of intellect. When your intellect is lost, you perish. Your personality is totally destroyed. Therefore, indiscriminate entertainment entertainment of a thought can bring about the degradation and destruction of a human being. The momentum of discriminate thought flows is very much like water flowing in a river. The river Ganga begins at the course of the peak of the Himalayas. The source of the great river is incredibly insignificant. Trickles of water here and there gather together to form a small stream descending the mountain, more trickles and more flow thickens the stream. Gradually, down in the valleys, it gathers momentum, reaching the plains with a torrential flow, such as your mind and its thought flow. Your intellect must supervise every thought flow, every thought and avoid unnecessary thought, thought flow, failing which your mind can develop a tremendous force too great for your intellect to control. Your mind then takes its own course, leading your personality to ruin. Any questions? So that's why it's important to develop that capacity in you to think and reason so that you can control your own mind. Like I said, the mind can go anywhere. You know, people are in mental asylum, no intellect. They had lost the power of reasoning. That's what happened to you. That's what happens to you. Okay. You all okay to cover the next verse? Ragat be sabi yukteistu Visayan nindri escharan Atma vasye vide atma Prasadam dikachachati Ragat vesaviyukteistu Visayan nindri escharan Atma vasye vide atma Prasadam dikachati So if you don't control your desires, it can destroy you. Then how do you control your desires? How do you control your desires? Many people, books, say control yourself. Even you say to your partner or your children, control yourself. Your child says, how do I control myself? What do you answer? How do you explain to the child how to control? No one teaches you how to self-control. This is the problem. That's why you don't know. No one tells you, this is how you need to do self-control or practice self-control. In this verse, it gives you the mechanism of self-control. 
So what is self-control? What is self-control? Anyone? What is self-control? Does it mean giving up everything and living in a cave? Vanita, what does it mean? I think it means that you can have access to things that you enjoy, but you should know that if it's overtaking that joy, then you need to stop yourself. Like when you say you're eating mangoes, right? You have one and it tastes amazing. Then you say you have two and then you think, well, yeah, that's okay. But you've got diabetes and then your sugar level, you need to know when to stop that thought flow. Like it's okay to access something, but Very have good. the control of when to say, no, that's enough. Very good. Self-control means putting limits to what you do. Doesn't mean giving up everything and living in a cave. If we analyze people's behavior, they either indulge without thinking, or they stay away from sense contact out of fear. It's two extremes. They either don't contact at all, or they go and live in a place, or they, or they indulge without any control. This verse is saying both approach is wrong. You need to take the middle path. What's the middle path? Middle path means you contact sense objects, you enjoy sense objects, but have control over them. Does that make sense? Go to your favorite restaurant, enjoy it, have control over it. Don't let them carry you away and take over your likes and dislikes. It's all about likes and dislikes. King Janaka had everything. Beautiful wife, kingdom, wealth. He enjoyed all the pleasures of the kingdom, but he was regarded as a person with total self-control. So there's nothing wrong with enjoyment. Ravi, can you read paragraphs one, two, and three, please? Okay. Verse 61 pronounces the importance of self-control. If a person does not practice self-control, he is bound to meet his downfall. The previous two verses trace the ladder of fall. This verse is a graphic description of the mechanism of self-control. Everyone talks about the importance of self-control, but none seems to pinpoint exactly how to do it. The words visayan charan appearing in the verse mean moving among the sense objects. This indicates that a person practicing self-control can remain in contact with sense objects. Self-control does not mean giving up possession and enjoyment of sense objects, nor does it mean moving away from the world to seclusion. Living in isolation, King Janaka possessed a rich kingdom of his own. He thoroughly enjoyed the pleasures of the world, and still he was a man of perfect self-control. 
self-control has a far deeper meaning than what the average person conceives. People generally relate to sense objects in one or two ways. In one approach, a person indiscriminately indulges in sensual pleasures. In the other, a person avoids sense objects in the name of self-control. He considers these, sorry, he considers sense objects dangerous to human welfare. With fear in his heart, he refrains from them assiduously. Both are among, both are on the wrong track. A middle path envisages an intel, intelligent use and even enjoyment of the senses. But with the proviso that one must maintain a mastery over the sense objects and never enslave oneself to their attachment. To the enchantment. Enchantment, sorry. So what does that mean? How do you control? I don't understand that from that. It doesn't tell me how to do it. Does anyone understand from that how to do self-control? It's all based on our likes and dislikes. Raga and Vesa, likes and dislikes. What is, what is likes and dislikes? Who can tell me what likes and dislikes is? Emma, what is likes and dislikes? What is likes and dislikes? Any idea? Yeah, Benita? When you have a pleasant experience from something, and then when you have, a, like, so that's obviously something you like, and a dislike would be obviously having a bad experience from something. Um, mm -hmm. It depends on your personality. So it might not be the same for you and me, mm -hmm. depending on what the, I think what the what your personality is like, I suppose. Like if I don't like mangoes, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter to me if you're eating it, but if yep. you were eating a mango and I like the mango and I think you didn't share it, then that would be a dislike to you because of okay. the mango. I don't know. Okay. Okay. No, good, good effort. All of us are bundles of likes and dislikes. All of us. When we're born, throughout our life, from the time we're born, we're propelled by our likes and dislikes. We do what we like, we avoid what we dislike. It's a fact, all of us. We do what we like, we avoid what we dislike. Our parents, family, friends, then our partner promotes this in us throughout our life. Peter, you don't like that, don't eat it. You only like this? Okay, I'll only feed you this. Then you get married. Darling, I know you don't. I'll take you to your favorite restaurant. I know you like this food. You don't like that one, I know. You're promoting more likes and dislikes. And if we look at ourselves now, we are a bundle of likes and dislikes. We do what we like, we avoid what we dislike. You may say, so what? I'm all right, I'm happy. Nothing wrong with me. But if you analyze, what we tend to like is normally bad for us. What we tend to like is normally bad for us in the long run. And what we dislike is beneficial for us in the future. If you analyze any, any, anything in your life, what you dislike, if you did, 
it'd be good in the long run, you'll see it's the benefit good for you. Don't, don't ask me why, but this seems to be like a law. This seems to be the case. Once again, it's to do with the mind and intellect. Likes and dislikes is a quality of the mind, purely based on emotions. And if you don't control them, then they can ultimately destroy you. This is the desire we're talking about. How do you do self-control? I like smoking. I really enjoy it. What happens when you smoke 20 years of your life? Bad for you. I don't like exercise. Who wants to go to the gym? Long-term beneficial. What we got for lunch? Steamed vegetables and rice. I don't like that. Let's fry some samosas and chips. Now, these are simple examples, but this goes for anything in life, by the way. Mind can ask for anything, remember. I never tried cocaine. I heard it makes you feel really good. Drugs, I've never tried drugs. Let me try some. This is how likes and dislikes work. When did they get a question? So do, you, do your likes and dislikes change as your personality changes as you grow older? Like, or it depends on the intellect and how strong it is? Or, because obviously people, when you're young, you, you might do things and then as you get older, you feel like, well, I don't want to do that anymore. Is it because you've had a lot of attachment to that thing and then you can't you don't want it anymore or is it because you've grow i don't know do you grow out of that dis, that that desire as you grow older your likes and dislikes changes okay when your mom used to make ringan nushak you didn't like it yeah you yeah, know <laughs> yeah. but now you like it your husband makes it really nice <laughs> your likes and dislikes have changed <laughs> Yeah, so as you get older, your likes and dislikes changes because, because you're, experience, you're having new experiences. Yeah, when you were young, your experiences were different from your experiences now. So you can't go by your likes and dislikes. Then shout, how should you act? Once again, it boils down to the intellect. We need to examine and control our likes and dislikes through the judgment of the intellect. Once again, it's that it's very simple, this self-control. Control the mind by the intellect. That's all it is. Intellect must say, is this right for me? The opposite way is you act impulsively. Mind acts impulsively. So throughout life, all actions must be propelled by our intellect, not the impulses of the mind. If you do this, then you're practicing self-control. So what's self-control? Intellect's control over the mind. Once again, the thought comes, I'd like to do this. Intellect kicks in. Is this good for me? Is this right for me? Yes, okay, do it. No, leave it. A 
brilliant, strong intellect sees what's going to happen before embarking on the experience. A brilliant, strong intellect sees what's going to happen before embarking on the experience. An average intellect realizes what's going to happen during the experience. Why did I start this? Why did I do this? A person with no intellect does not realize even after the experience. That's the difference. Does that, everyone understand that? So, no need to give up sense objects. You can enjoy everything in life. God has given us sense organs, created a beautiful world, so we can enjoy it. But what this verse is saying is enjoy it, but think before you act. So that's the first part of sense control. And there's a second part. We're just going to finish that now. Ravi, can you read paragraphs four and five, please? Raga, Raga and Vesa. Raga and Vesa mean like and dislike. This phrase appears throughout the Gita. Vedantic philosophy revolves around this expression. Likes and dislikes entrap everyone. You like whatever is conductive, agreeable. Sorry. Whatever is conducive. Oh, or conducive, agreeable, pleasant to you. You dislike what is unconducive, disagreeable, or unpleasant. Likes and dislikes have taken over your lives. From early childhood, you pick up what you like and discard what you dislike. Your parents, relatives, and friends support and even cater to your preferences. They indiscriminately nurture and nourish your likes and dislikes. Consequently, these likes and dislikes grow into a great force, determining the course of your life. The general trend of human activity follows individual likes and dislikes. Attraction and repulsion initiate most of your actions. But you ought not to perform actions just because you like to do so. Neither should you refrain from actions merely because you dislike them. You make a grave error in letting your emotional feelings guide your activities. Thus, Likes and dislikes are your greatest enemies. If you feed them indiscriminately, they will ultimately destroy you. The correct way to act is to examine your feelings. That is your likes and dislikes with your discerning intellect and do what reason bids you. What you like to do may be opposed to what you ought to do. Therefore, your intellectual discrimination rather than your emotional feelings, must decide your activities. This is one facet of self-control. That's one part of self-control. A second part of self-control is not to create further likes and dislikes. This is also a problem. While we're acting, we create more likes and dislikes. You have a desire to go to a new restaurant. People have told you how nice it is. So you go there with the family, 
intellect says, yes, that's fine, go. You've not eaten, you've not been out for a long time. COVID, you've been in house for two years, you haven't been to a restaurant. Yep, go. You go to the restaurant, order the food. Food is amazing, you taste. Best food you have tasted for a long time. You and the family have a really good experience. You come home, what do you say? The food is amazing, I can't wait to go back again. Next day you go to work, you tell all your friends, social media, you describe your experience. Lingering in that thought, we do this. I remember myself and some friends, we went to Las Vegas and for one of my friends, it was the first time. After we came back, my friend could not stop talking about his experience in Vegas. Whenever we met, I can't wait to go back. You know, we went here, we went there, we did this. He keeps talking about it. So what he's saying is, if after an experience you linger mentally in the joy or sorrow of that experience, this will create further likes and dislikes. That lingering creates further likes and dislikes. So what must we do then? How do we not create more likes and dislikes? Does everyone identify with me what we're saying here? We all do this. So he's saying end perception with perception. End experience with that experience. Don't let the mind wallow in the experience. Don't let the mind keep reliving that experience mentally. That's the problem. You went to the restaurant, you enjoyed it, that's it, finished. Don't think about it anymore. You went on holiday, you came back, finished. No need to think about it anymore. So if we practice these two disciplines while acting in life, then we are practicing self-control. We attain peace of mind, we become happier. And then with a calm mind, your intellect is more firm and sharp. Become more efficient, more productive in life. With a calm mind, leads to wealth and happiness. And this is what everyone wants in life, wealth and happiness. This verse says, if you practice self-control, you'll be rewarded with prasad, the last line. Prasadamayakachati, peace of mind. When you go to a temple, you do your prayers, you receive the Lord's prasad, which is usually some food. Here it says, the prasad will be peace of mind if we do this. Any questions? We'll cover it again in the next class because time's coming up. I wanted to cover it because it's the solution to the last verse. They can't leave it halfway. Just something, does that answer your question, by the way? Yeah, great. Ravi.
The second facet of self-control lies in restraining growth of further likes and dislikes. Though the intellect sanctions an action or the enjoyment of a sense object, creation of a like or dislike may nevertheless result. If after completion of the experience, you linger mentally in the pleasure or displeasure of it, you will produce a fresh like or dislike. To avoid such a creation, do not allow the mind to indulge in reliving the pleasure or sorrow. Do not permit your thoughts to flow towards a completed experience or perception. You must learn to end perception with perception. You may always enjoy physical experiences, but without letting your mind lag behind in the memory. The dual aspects of self-control are suggested in this verse by two words, Atmavasya and Vidyatma, not allowing your likes and dislikes to initiate your actions and not allowing your actions to generate fresh likes and dislikes. Your intellect should supervise your impulses and ensure they do not propel your actions. Also, your actions do not create further impulses. With practice of this discipline, you attain peace of mind. That's self-control. You understand these three verses, your life changes. Complete change in your personality and your life. These three verses out of, in fact, you know, in Gita, all the verses are like that. <laughs> One, two verses, you understand, that's it, your life changes. Any questions? We've gone a bit ahead of time, but uh, we needed to cover that. Ravi. I was just going to say on this topic, it actually does, you know, when it says don't dwell on, like, for example, as you said, with your friend, you went away to Vegas or wherever you've been. Um, you, you come back and you dwell on it and you say it was really good, really good. So you've built up that experience. And I don't know if most people, when you try and relive that, it doesn't come back to the same thing. So you actually set yourself up for disappointment by dwelling on that experience. And I think, you know, just listen, I mean, reading this path is, if you want to do that to have, treat the next holiday or the next subject as a new experience without dwelling on the previous one. Okay. Yeah, and you keep comparing it. You compare it to last experience. And because you compare it to last experience, you don't enjoy the present experience. End perception of perception. That's it. Simple. Anita. Does that apply to people as well? Hey, everyone. Apply to people because that's quite hard. If you have a bad experience, you dislike that person, how you have to have so much self-control to end it there, right? Because... You're going to see that person again. Yeah, but the thing is, even if you see that person again, if you had a bad experience with that person, you're more careful how you approach that person. That's self-control as well. You may have to work with some colleague that you don't like. Yeah, So you approach that person with caution, with self-control. You, know, you avoid that person when necessary, but you have to contact them. Then you're on guard. You're in Turks on guard. That's what it means. Yeah. Any other questions? 
So run it by your, any thought that comes, run it by your intellect as soon as you can, before it becomes a strong desire. If you're going to experience it, end perception with perception. Keep moving forward. That way you have self-control. Good. Excellent. Okay. Hey, these verses, you don't know how long it took to present these verses. The last verse I finished this morning, because it's just so deep, how to present it in a simple way that the person can understand it. So it's a tough one. So then how do you control your self-control? It's even more tougher. You have to really think about it. Okay. Next week, bank holiday, what are your thoughts? I don't want to uh, be, uh, you know, create any issues in your weekend plans. Um, yes class, no class, it's fine with me. I'm just uh, asking the class members. Yes, from me, I don't know about others. I'm okay. I'm okay. Okay, what's the general consensus? Yes, no, just not in. I can only ask the people on. Emma, DJ Bai, you okay? Okay. We will have a, a short, simple class next week.